And we are recording now. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Martinez, and I am part of the JHU Masters in Museum Studies program. And I'm here today with uh, Kristen Prestigard. Uh, Kristen is the Chief Engagement Officer for the Minneapolis Institute of Art in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, her role is overseeing the Audience Engagement Division of the MIA. And this includes the marketing, public relations, design and editorial, and visitor experience. Uh, she is also a key force in building strategy for audience engagement initiatives. This is bolstered by over 15 years of experience in the world of marketing. Kristen, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, so what we're here to do today is just to talk about using the web as a way for museums to perform outreach and about how you and your experiences in that regard have uh, informed your opinion about this matter. So my first question is, in building a web page, what kind of data you're looking for when you're crafting that, and how are you retrieving that data? Okay, so um, we always think about our audience first. So as a museum, we um, would use similar strategies for web development that we would in other ways too, in that we listen to our audiences. We, so if they give us feedback, we want to in integrate that. We can track where they're going and where they're not going. Um, and so that gives us clues into what people are looking for and searching for. Um, we think about um, priorities of the museum. So we have um, a, what we call a brand content plan that um, the leadership team of the museum aligns as our key messages and our top priorities. So we make sure those are most visible. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a combination of strategy and data, which is really based on user feedback. Yeah, and then what kind of user feedback do you usually get that's most common for, say, like a web project? Um, so we'll do user testing. So sometimes we um, will do that on site or online um, and looking for hotspots, so where people get stuck or where people are going quite often. Um, if, for example, people are going somewhere that we are curious about, then we might um, follow up with them if, if we do like a focus group kind of test on site and ask them what they were looking for and why they were going there. Um, and then um, Google Analytics so that we can see um, how long people spend on a page, how they come into a page. So if they're coming from a second party, which is most of the time, um, and what they searched to get to where they want to be. Okay. Okay. All right, so then my next big question for you is, so we're living in a big world where social media is king right now, and using it to interact with people is the currency of the realm of what, how most institutions or how many people uh, outreach with people. So do you feel there's like the most effective way to use social media that can get like the best results mm -hmm. for what you're doing for the museum? Yeah, absolutely. We have a um, robust strategy around social media. So one thing is that we always make sure that it has something to click to so that we can track the data of um, who's looking at it, but then also who's taking action on it. And so we have different strategies with different platforms. Um, Facebook, the strategy would really to be pr to promoting general information events. Um, and we like to link to um, stories and a little bit of deeper content. Um, we, we have a blog called um, Mia Stories. Um, and so we, we link to that content. Um, video is doing really well on Facebook, so we watch those algorithms to create videos that, that um, are naturally um, successful. Um, with Facebook, we buy advertising on Facebook that's really cost effective. 
Um, and we do things like looking at um, targeting people who are fans, people who are friends of our fans, and then look-alike audiences so that we can look at um, people who are fans of our museum and a look-alike audience are people who, who have similar characteristics as those audience. So we would then target sponsored ads to those people. So Facebook we also think about as a most general audience. Um, it skews older than our other platforms as it does for most people. There's something like 80% um, of the population of adults has a Facebook page. So we know it's a very broad um, way to reach people. Um, Instagram, we make sure that um, the content is very beautiful. Um, and so we use that a little bit less about events and more about um, um, gallery shots or um, paintings or um, if the, the mood of the day. So if it was like a pretty fall day, we'd show a fall, fall painting for example. Um, we use Twitter um, for more thought leadership. So we have our curators, our director, and museum professionals that we target on Twitter. Because Twitter is so um, fast moving, we don't use that as much as general promotions as we do about um, people who are looking for news or thought leadership. Since we're not breaking a lot of news, there's not a lot of place for us to be there. Um, and then we experiment with Snapchat. So we've done um, Snapchat filters. Um, and Snapchat doesn't actually report a lot of or any of the data back to you. So we don't have um, information on if that's really effectively driving any traffic. And what's your opinion of the Snapchat process, Ben? Um, I think it's hard. I think that some brands can do it well. Um, so, like LACMA, for example, the Los Angeles County Art Museum mm -hmm. does a Snapchat story um, probably every three days um, that is about the art. So I look at it, um, but they don't know I'm looking at it, um, and so they because they don't report the data back to their um, customers or their their people using it. So um, Lackman's been a little bit creative, and they've, they've said, like, if you want us to do a song for you, snap us, and then tell us what zip code you're at. So they could at least see like, what their reach was like in different places. Okay, and then and I think, talk so, oh, Yeah, so the balance is you, we don't have the resources to be effective everywhere. So we mm -hmm. want to make sure that we're putting our um, money and our staffing resources where they are more, most effective. Um, and for us, that seems to be Facebook. Um, that obviously will evolve as um, different platforms become as evolved too. But for Twitter, for example, is just we're we're not we're not the news, and so it's not driving follow-through action. So we know that people look at it, but it's not driving traffic or engagement online. Okay, and then so Facebook is your main source of social media interaction. Then, with, a, um, with Instagram, a close second. Yep. With an, okay. And then so with those two platforms, do you feel that appealing to different age groups is a big priority for Yeah, we actually, um, as a museum, don't look at demographics. We look at visitor motivations. And so we've, we've had a lot of success with that. So we would target why somebody wants to visit, not who they are. Mm -hmm. um, the exception would be our neighborhood. So we do over-index targeting our neighborhood because we want people in our own zip code to feel really connected to us. Um, and so that's, that strategy has worked with us not just from a social standpoint, but from an overall marketing standpoint. And our, um, our demographics are more diverse than they've ever been. People are younger visiting the museum than they've ever been. And um, broader um, sections of the population such as education and um, wealth. 
Um, so the, the motivation piece, so why people want to visit versus who they are has been a really successful measure for us. Oh, well, that's great that everyone gets to just be motivated just by the search for art then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then so number three big question here. So you have come from the, the private sector, from, uh, from being a manager and uh, having a marketing background. Mm-hmm. So how has that applied to your work today being in the nonprofit sector in the museums? Yeah, um, we, so we don't operate like a nonprofit. We operate, um, I would say, sort of as a hybrid. So when we borrow mm-hmm. ideas from different sectors, it, sure, we look at other museums, but we really like to borrow from retail, um, sports, um, loyalty programs of airlines, for example, um, content production from TV. And so um, I think it's about the right culture fit. And I, I personally don't know if that matters if it's a nonprofit or a for-profit mm-hmm. because you could work for a for-profit that's really um, clear on their mission or their vision or their um, you know, social, social need. Um, and even if they're making a profit, profit, it might be similar to the organization like, that we run here. That said, I, I definitely think that people who work at this museum and all museums do it for a greater good of being motivated by the, the product, being the art, and the, and the visitors. Um, and so if you, for me, that's not a difference than in, in my career than where I've been at for-profit institutions. But I could see that being different if you were um, someone who was like at a bank or something and you weren't necessarily motivated by the product as much as you were by other um, external forces. Okay. And then so you've always felt like what you were doing was good, decent work, and then that's never really had to change over the years for like impact-wise? Exactly. Yeah. So I, um, I, and I feel very fortunate, but I've always chosen organizations where I felt like I was making a community impact. And so even doing that at a TV station, you're still really influencing the community for good um, in a lot of the work that I've been fortunate to do. And so I, I, I know that I'll always work for a company that I feel like is making community impact. Oh, very lucky lady. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then so so if MIA is a hybrid institution, mm-hmm. correct. Um, so has working in a museum differed greatly from working in the private sector just from the standpoint of you're working to sell more of the idea of the museum as opposed to, say, yeah. like a product? Yeah. Well, since I come from marketing, like I don't know that our curators would love to hear it this way, but we do think our marketing team and our audience engagement team thinks about our marketing product as being the art and our exhibitions and our programs the same way that a for-profit company like a General Mills would think about Cheerios um, and Totino's. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is to make sure that people feel connected to what we're offering um, and have value in it. So even though we're a free institution, people still need value for why they're coming. Um, and like a for-profit, we want people to experience us in different ways that really are personal to them. So like General Mills would want to target Cheerios to maybe somebody different than they ch- target Totino's. Um, and so we think about segmentation the same way, and that, and that people who want to come to an exhibition might want to be, or might be different than people who come to a third Thursday or an evening event. And sometimes they're the same too, and then you look at that crossover with the data and you figure out why are they the same and what behaviors can we um, offer them to, to get them to come to more, m- more of a mix of, of programs that we're offering. 
Okay, and then are there any disadvantages or advantages to working in the, doing the work that you're doing for the MAA, doing that yeah, I mean, outreach for I would art say as the, opposed to? Yeah, oh. the, the, the great thing is that, and the hard thing is that everybody who works here is really motivated and passionate about what they do. And so that's wonderful to, be work, to work with so many passionate people. The challenge is that everyone believes in their program so much, and there's just finite resources to um, promote things, and even finite um, time for our visitors because they, visitors need to be helped. A lot of visitors need us to help kind of curate their experience for them and, and tell them the highlights. And so it's, it's not saying that something is good or bad. We just have to be strategic about what offerings we make to what people. Hmm. Okay. Um, so the next big question then, I say, so you were part of the making the third Thursday program, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So then, what were some ways that you used web and social media to help make that a success in terms of getting people to come in and then getting the word out? Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. So our third Thursday program is about 10 years old. And when we started it, we did paid advertising in print. And I, I think about that now and thinking that we never really knew if that was driving any action. We kind of thought it was, but um, it's a free event and you didn't have to check in. So now we really look at third Thursday from a completely social standpoint. Um, and we don't actually get a ton of web traffic um, for Third Thursday either, but, but with social we want to make sure that we have partners. So we always have an event partner that also has a reach. And so the better event partners we have, um, the, the broader we expand. So we would tag them, for example. We always do a photo album after a Third Thursday, and those are the, generally the monthly highest engaged um, albums that we have because people want to look for pictures of themselves or their friends. Um, and so just making sure we always do like a, a photo backdrop so that there, there's a way to encourage people to take photos and share them. So it's really about giving people the tools to help the, the third Thursday go viral. We also found success with doing event, um, event listings for, for third Thursday because then people can say they're interested and you see that in your, in your friend's feed if they're also interested. So it, it, makes, it just like compounds the amount of people who can see the event. Promotion. Okay, fascinating. So we have been talking a little bit about just getting feedback from the data that you're or data that you're getting from uh, social media and getting uh, just general interest in how you're doing with like certain programs. Like you said, Snapchat wasn't doing uh, so well just because you can't get feedback. And you also said that mm -hmm. the first third Thursdays uh, was difficult to gauge just from that first initial run of advertising because you couldn't understand how people were knowing about everything. Um, right. Uh, do, is there like any other like mechanisms that you can think of that like can improve feedback with social media or? Yeah, I mean we think about like we, um, it, the more holistic that people can build their systems. So that's why we really believe on a click through to something. Because we, you can see how many people saw your Facebook ad, but you want people to click through it so that you know they're actually really interested. And then you want people to buy tickets or sign up to come or read a blog that we want to share. So 
we're trying to be really holistic in that we know not just, and this is similar to emails too, like not just who opened it, but who took action, being a click through and then to a full purchase. And so that's the, the power of the integration with the web is that, um, that whole process. And so then we know like where people fall off and hopefully, not hopefully, then we can make adjustments. If we're losing people at like a ticketing page because they can't sign in, then we would fix that. Or if we're not getting any traction, then we might target a different audience to see if it's them or ch change the messaging. So we, we look at data across all of our sectors to see um, if we need to adjust our audience targets or messaging or images sometimes. And then we also just take day-to-day -day anecdotal feedback from our audiences. So if somebody um, gives us, we, we pride ourselves on replying to as many if not all comments that come in um, wow. so that our audiences really feel like they're being heard because we are really listening to what they're, what they're telling us. And that could be to something like, hey, I didn't like the show to, um, it's too snowy outside, could you shovel? So, so that we could do, provide really great customer service. Okay, and is that direct feedback, do you think that's representative of the whole of what your program is? Um, I think it's like anything. Like you have to look at all of the data in a, in a, as pieces of a whole. Mm -hmm. And so you wouldn't want to just look at one data point because you, it's, it's just one piece of the pie, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Or are you sure. saying does the social media feedback represent the whole audience? Or I guess what I'm trying to like get at is is that that direct feedback when like people like have a specific comment for you is that something that you're striving towards getting more of that? Well, we always like it, but we want to be really um, intentional about it, is it one voice and are they or is it ten people? And so so that we're not chasing things that um, are outliers or that we are paying attention to trends like are the, um, are the feedback about X building. And then we always want to, so, so being statistically significant, I guess, in what the feedback. So, if we, so for example, we just changed our period rooms, and mm -hmm. it's really split 50-50 if people like them or not. Um, and so then we have to make a decision as an institution what we do with that information because it's not black and white or right, right. or wrong. Right, so it could always just be someone's disagreeing with the change in general. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, okay, so then the next big question I have for you is, so you oversee a lot of different micro uh, fields. You've got the challenges in the marketing and the public relations and design and editorial and visitor experience. So do you really have to change your mindset for each area when you approach them, or is it more like you have the same objective overall, and then you just got to like go through? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, so we really believe in the brand of the museum, and the brand mm -hmm. being not what we say it is, but what our visitors say it is. And so I believe strongly that that should be consistent among every experience, every touch point that you have. So mm -hmm. from, from looking us up on the website, to parking, to who greets you at the door, to what the signage looks like, to the follow-up email thanking you for your visit. So that should be a totally seamless um, experience. And our team, um, really, they're really fluid. For you know, All the heads of each of the departments are really fluid about the handoff of that experience. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not perfect. You know, it's, it's, we make mistakes, too, or have gaps. But um, d- definitely feel like we're moving in the same direction, which is audience-focused. Okay, and that's the overall goal that you always try to espouse with your, with your team, yep. is just audience first. Yep, the, uh, the, customer, the customer experience first. Um, and so that everybody who comes to the museum, if it's your first time visiting or your hundredth time visiting, would feel like you um, are welcome and have a place here. Okay. Um, so for our class today, we had a few comments on my questions that I was sending out to you. Mm-hmm. So just one qu- new question was that the MRA's new strategies are, have really centered around annual membership. So do you see the concept of membership as different in the digital age than it was prior to when the web was around? Yeah, so we um, actually, and I, I'm sorry, what was the first part of your question about membership? What was the first? Well, well like how has the concept of membership changed since before the, the digital age? The concept of membership? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's not as much about digital as about changing audience um, mm-hmm. needs and behavior. And so there's a study um, provided by a group called Culture Track. Um, and so in 2014, they came out with a study, and they actually just released their 2017 study this week, that um, younger audiences um, are culturally promiscuous. And what that means is that they're not necessarily loyal to one organization, but they go to a lot of organizations, but they feel connected to the ones that they go to. And that to them does not probably look like um, $150 membership for a transaction fee, but it looks more like um, being recognized and valued as a visitor. And so um, in 2015, we as a museum offered a free membership level. And so our attendance um, in the last um, five years has actually doubled, where our membership numbers have remained flat. So what that said to us is that people are behaving differently with members. So people who are um, a more of a traditional member and want a value proposition of like, I will pay $150 and get unlimited tickets to the paid exhibitions, we have saturated the market in those people. And so now we've added a level that's free, and what that looks like is you come in, you share your email address, and then we um, are able to target our communications to you. And the more you share with us, the more benefits we can give you back. Um, so it's really a valid proposition about information exchange for creating custom experiences. And so as we've moved into that model, we're one of the first museums, or the only museum really, that has something like that. Um, so our membership revenue is still the same, and we've now doubled the amount of people who identify as members of the museum. And so it's sort of, it's almost like a loyalty program for um, people who, who aren't traditional museum members. All right, so, so these new, new members, are they soft members would you say, or are they more like the hard um, annual giving and traditional yep. members? So we have, yep, so um, the, the people who give $150 or more, that number is really stagnant, so that they actually don't, um, we don't lose them. Um, they just they you know there's a there's a churn or a um, or a, a non renewal rate that's very consistent over time. So we have one way to target them, which is a traditional membership model, and then the other people are very different. So our goal with the other people are not to put them into a traditional model because they're not looking for that. 
Okay, and then so there's people who aren't looking for that traditional model. Um, there's different ways of interacting with them. There's different ways of assessing how to really get them into the museum. Yeah. Um, are there any specific outliers that you care to share, or? Yeah. So, so for example, that that group does tend to um, skew younger, um, mm -hmm. but that's not our motivation. Is not to get younger people. But our motivation with them is really to have them be engaged with us. And so we look at people how they're engaging. Um, social media, for example, if they engage with us on social media, we like to track that because that's valuable for them to be thought leaders sharing. We like if they're buying things at the store or if they're buying coffee, or if they're coming to special exhibitions or programs, because that person may actually be spending $150 a year. They're just not giving it to us as a member, and that is equally as valuable to us. So it's about engagement and um, activity versus a donation. And that's a little bit thinking about more of us as a business than a nonprofit. So both are important, but definitely different strategies for different audiences. Right, right. Um, let me see here. I'll give you so I'll give you one interesting story if, for what okay. it's worth. But okay. in the last year, we had two exhibitions that were really, really popular. So each drew about a hundred thousand visitors. Mm -hmm. One was an exhibition about Martin Luther, um, the monk, and um, the other was about Guillermo del Toro, the, the filmmaker. Oh, right, and yeah. so we really needed to look at data for those because it was our assumption that the people coming to Martin Luther would act like more of the traditional member model because they were Caucasian, they were older, um, they were a certain income level. Those people did not become traditional members, um, and they did not become free members. So they actually were just really um, like a one-time transactional visitor, which is fine. Um, but then when we did the Guillermo del Toro audience, we thought those people would actually be more of the people who came once for del Toro and not probably come back. And they, they doubled the amount of people for Luther who became paid members and transactional members. because they, So that, that's a, um, a proxy for us that they actually had more interest in connecting with the museum on an ongoing basis than someone who – and they did not look like our traditional member because they, they were um, more diverse. Um, in, in every way possible. Um, so if we would have just made assumptions without the data, we would have thought the Luther crowd was acting in a certain way that was actually how the Del Toro crowd was acting. Wow. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And fun and cool to see. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, here's a question just out of left field a bit. So. In the past 10 years, we have seen just a big shift on the internet with like the web 2.0. 10 years ago, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have Snapchat, we didn't have, uh, we might have had Twitter. Uh, YouTube was still a new concept and everything. And uh, so do you feel that museums have really, around this time, have like fully adapted to those changes or are we still trying to maybe find our footing a bit I, I think it will always evolve, and I think that's the thing about technology is that we all, no matter what our sector is, have to be watching and listening to our audiences to make sure that the technology is adding value to them and not um, noise. And so um, it's a tool for a lot of people. It's, there's still people who like to call. There's still people – print actually is like 
direct mail is pretty effective right now because it's like it's the outlier now. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of think about like how much do people do um, on the website versus their own mobile de device, for example. So our website is fully responsive, and we're, our strategy is to drive people more to their own device to come in the museum than for like an audio guide because it seems like people are moving to be more comfortable with that. Um, but then what does that look like when demographics change too? So as um, the world becomes a you know, white non-minority or non-majority, um, does that affect what platforms people are entering on? So does everybody have a smartphone who comes in the museum? Right, yeah. And then do you see like maybe like this is just becoming more of a currency of the realm now that we're just going to have to, like every museum is just going to have to use Instagram, every museum is going to have to have that outreach. We're just going to have yeah, to. Um, yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think they don't have to, but I think it's a really effective way to do it. I think businesses and museums probably all struggle with the same thing of like what is their ROI on that and is it, how much time do you spend on it? And how much is you know, the brand of it versus it driving whatever your, your goals are? And so, but it is a really great way to track things. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and, that it'll be, and that we should be like platform agnostic really because something could go away and a new, and a new something comes in two years and we don't know what that is. Right, because there's always trends on what's popular in social media. Um, Mm -hmm. so like some year, maybe certain Instagram posts might be more popular, but by the time museums get on board for that, it might be passe in the next year yeah. or so. Yeah. So is that ever like a concern that you always have to like keep an eye out on like what's popular or what's really absolutely. resonant with people? And, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And also that it doesn't that it it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that so we want to make sure we're in a lot of different channels or or talking to people in a lot of different ways. So we wouldn't want to be all digital because then we'd be leaving somebody out. But that's right. now. That could be very different. And you know, are, it, will there be a local newspaper in five years? A print version. Right, exactly. So you've got to keep each foot in both the puddles, so to speak. Exactly, yeah. And so then, so then it becomes a resource balancing question about where do, how do you allocate what resources. All right, Kristen, I think that's all my questions I have for you today. Is there anything you'd like to say to the wonderful people on the Internet about social media <laughs> and getting the word out there? No, just be creative, be curious. Um, don't be afraid to try things. Um, be kind to each other. You know, so like we, you know, we're not perfect on, the, on, on social, but it, it, um, it comes from being well-intended, so you know, be thoughtful about it, I guess. <laughs> Wise words to live by. So this is Kristen Prestigard. Okay. She is at the Min Minneapolis Institute of Arts. Uh, I will definitely be taking a visit up there next month to go see what you've done with our period rooms. And hopefully okay. I'll give you some good feedback about it too. Please, yeah, and feel free to reach out. If I'm around, I'd love to say hi in person. Oh, sure, so. sure. Okay, I'm going to stop the record right now. <laughs>